Our second scripture reading this morning is Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10 and verse 22. If you'd like to follow along, it's at page 395 of the Old Testament section of your Pew Bibles. I will bless the Lord at all times. God's praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt God's name together. I sought the Lord, and God answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Look to God, and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried, and was heard by the Lord, and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in God. O fear the Lord, you God's holy ones, for those who fear God have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The Lord redeems the life of God's servants. None of those who take refuge in God will be condemned. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please join me in prayer. God of our ancestors, God of generations yet unborn, you made yourself known to princes and handmaids, prophets and midwives. Now inspire us with the same spirit to understand and fulfill our witness and service in the world. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Two or three times a year, someone shows up at the doorstep of the church, so to speak, and says, my mother died, or brother or son or wife, and I live nearby, and you're a church, so can you do the service? And if I have the time and the bandwidth, I like to say yes, I like for us to be the community's resource for such things. I had the privilege of taking part in such a service this past Friday, a graveside service for a man who died suddenly and unexpectedly of a heart event at the age of 53. His father told me his son was not religious, but was very spiritual in his own way, which gave me the opportunity to say at the graveside that if Jesus is any indication, and I believe he is, God doesn't seem to care as much about whether we're officially religious as about whether we appreciate God and God's creation, which includes, of course, all God's creatures. I was touched by the honesty and vulnerability of the family members who spoke at this graveside service. A sister said, grief is messy, it's hard, it's so tinged with regret for the things you wish you'd said and for the things that you did say that you wish you could take back. She said that in her big family, she tended to be the one who hid, who hid out. She gave the example of being on a long and complicated email thread, the family email thread, and never chiming in, just lurking, as she put it. When one of her sisters made a wisecrack that maybe this sister had died and not told them, she did speak up and said, no, I'm doing what people in our family always do when things get tough. I'm hiding. Her brother, the man who had died, replied on the email chain, Yup. 
And in that one syllable, the sister had felt seen and heard, known and understood, and it meant the world to her. The father talked about the old Irish ballad, Johnny, I Hardly Knew Ye. He shared that he'd known his son as an infant and toddler, as a Little League baseball player and a rebellious teenager, and then later as an artist, adventurer, and free spirit, but that his son's friends had sent photos and stories that made him realize he only knew a fraction of who his son was. Johnny, I hardly knew you. This is my experience with memorial services here at this church as well. People know each other for years, and inevitably, after a service, people will say something like, I never knew Betty helped found KQED, or I never knew that Roger was an artist. There's always more to people, isn't there? Whether they are officially religious services or not, the times we gather to say farewell to beloved family and friends are sacred times. They're holy times. We all need them. We need to tell the stories, and we need to hear the stories. We need them in part because telling the stories, remembering those who have gone before us, is an important part of grieving. Today is All Saints Sunday. In our tradition, the Reformed tradition, saints aren't necessarily the folks who qualify for a spot in a stained glass window. According to the New Testament, all who are intentionally living out their faith are saints, living or dead. We are saints, and we are saints not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. So on All Saints, uh, the celebration isn't just about heroes of the past or present, and it isn't even only about the heroes of our particular congregation, those standout performers whose names everyone remembers. As well, it's also about those much closer or quieter saints, parents and grandparents, spiritual mentors, aunts and uncles and friends, those who have strengthened our faith by their words and examples, even when they did it privately, subtly, or only occasionally. Remembering them, we continue to give significance to their lives. Remembering doesn't erase the pain of loss, but it does help us heal. We also need to tell the stories because they do strengthen us. They do encourage us. Whether our heroes of faith are charismatic leaders or just the person sitting next to you in the Life Stories group, the Transition Support group, or an AA meeting, the stories of how people deal with pain and heartache and struggle help us deal with pain and heartache and struggle. We realize we aren't alone. We realize our human problems are not so different from other people's human problems. We feel connected. Did any of you grow up in a church tradition in which testifying or testimony was routine? Not many. It's not common in the Presbyterian Church. But in some traditions, testimony means either to tell the story of how you became a Christian or to tell the story of a specific event in your life in which you believe God did something significant. This morning's psalm, Psalm 34, is just such testimony. The psalmist tells the story of deliverance from some life-threatening situation. He's saying, this is what happened in my life. 
This is how God showed up in my life. This is my real-life experience. I prayed to the Lord, and God answered me. God freed me from all my fears. The psalmist tells the story because he knows we all need to hear it. We need the hope that comes from stories of resilience and struggle, of recognizing God at work in the midst of pain. Frederick Buechner writes, My story is important not because it is mine, God knows, but because if I tell it anything like right, the chances are you will recognize that in many ways it is also yours. Telling stories and listening to other people's stories of pain and longing, of hope and joy is humanizing. It brings us closer, it connects us, it draws us into our common humanity. On All Saints Sunday, we recognize that we build our lives and faith on the stories of others. Like the psalmist, the people who can say in one way or another, Oh, taste and see that God is good. Those people show us how to do the same. This All Saints is particularly poignant for me because my father's memorial service was yesterday. My brother Don told a story about my dad that I had completely forgotten. It took place during my family's sojourn in Des Moines, Iowa. My brother was always tall for his age, and when he was 10, he was big and a good enough athlete that he made it onto the Little League team for 11- and 12-year-olds. His team didn't play particularly well, though, and they ended the season at the bottom of the league. The coach decided not to return the next spring, and so my dad stepped into coach. He started the team with fundamentals and moved them on to practicing more complicated plays like squeeze bunts and pickles, and the team won the championship that year. But as my brother said, that's not what this story is about. My brother's league sold popcorn to raise money for ball fields and umpires and such, the way Girl Scouts sell cookies. It was premium popcorn, maybe super premium popcorn. And remember, this is the tall corn state, so standards were high. This was not your Jiffy Pop or even your Orville Redenbacher. This popcorn popped into cloud-like kernels the size of gardenias. (laughs) It was two pounds for a dollar. My dad required the boys to wear their uniforms, including their caps, when they went out to sell popcorn. Don said they looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. Under my dad's direction, my brother's team sold more popcorn than the other seven teams in the league combined. My my dad drove my brother and three of his friends to several neighborhoods in town, and those four boys alone sold ten times as much popcorn as the rest of their team. But, said my brother, that's not what this story is about. On the way home from their last popcorn sales trip, sitting in the back seat of my dad's big blue Oldsmobile, my brother and his three friends started imagining the prizes they'd win for selling this much popcorn. That was part of the incentive. If you sold a certain number of pounds of popcorn, you'd earn points worth prizes. And even more points meant even more and even bigger prizes. Don said it was like visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. And then my dad looked in the rearview mirror and said, You know, boys, if you share your points with the rest of the team, then everybody on the team will get prizes. 
My brother said their first response was, What are you talking about, Cher? But the boys thought it over for about five and a half minutes and decided that my dad's idea was a good one. So they shared their points with the rest of the team. The whole team won a trip to Minneapolis to watch the Minnesota Twins play, and every boy won prizes. My brother learned then that by sharing what they had, they lifted up the whole team. And that, Don said, was our dad, and that's what the story was about. Now, you may have noticed that my brother didn't mention God. The stories about or told by the saints in our lives, living or dead, don't always mention God by name. But God is there, right there in the middle of these stories and in what these stories give us. Life and hope, joy and courage, love and humanity. In the Beatitudes, which Martha read, Jesus surprised his listeners with his description of who is blessed. Rather than those with money and status and power, Jesus named those who mourn, those who feel meek rather than strong, those who hunger for justice rather than who strive to come out on top. What Jesus was telling the people is that in our humanity, in our common humanity, that's where we are blessed to be a blessing to others. The world needs us in our stories because our grief, our courage, our peacemaking, our stories bless others in their grief, in their courage, in their peacemaking, in their stories. No matter what our situation and whether the world sees us this way or not, and even whether we see ourselves this way or not, we are blessed and beloved by God, blessed to be a blessing to others and linked in this way with all the saints who have gone before us. Frederick Buechner, again, said, To be a saint is to be human, because we were created to be human. To be a saint is to live with courage and self-restraint, but it is more than that. To be a saint is to live not with hands clenched to grasp, to strike, to hold tight to a life that is always slipping away the more tightly we hold to it, but it is to live with hands stretched out, both to give and receive with gladness. To be a saint is to work and weep for the broken and suffering in the world, but it is also to be strangely light of heart in the knowledge that there is something greater in the world that mends and renews. Maybe more than anything else, to be a saint is to know joy. It is to live a life that is always giving itself away and yet is always full. To be a saint is to be fully alive, to be fully human. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.